for your grace and for your love and for your mercy, Lord. Thank you so much that you've given us your word, um, that you can challenge us and change us and engage us. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be in this place and that you would just pour out your spirit upon us and illuminate your word and change our hearts and change our lives. And ultimately, we pray, Lord, that Christ, you are magnified here at Rooftop in Afton, Missouri. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So when I was growing up, I was scared of the dark. No. I know, that, I'm, I'm sure that surprises all of you guys. <laughs> I was like deathly afraid of the dark. I'm talking like I was always terrified of the dark. I'm the kind of guy, probably still now, um, I can't dangle my arm off the bed, you know what I'm talking about, or my leg, because something obviously is going to grab it and pull me off the bed. So I don't like the dark, still don't, but I'm, I'm, I've gotten over it a little bit. But as a kid, I was always scared of the boogeyman that was in the closet, or I was scared of the monster that was underneath the bed. And what would happen was, at the end of the night, my dad or whoever would, they would uh, they'd tell me goodnight, they'd turn the light off, they'd shut the door, say goodnight, and then all of a sudden, the room is pitch black. You know what I'm talking about? Your eyes don't adjust. And I would be so horrified and petrified of the dark that it would literally paralyze me. I'm not kidding. I had a paralyzing fear of the darkness and what was lurking in the dark. But then one of my parents had this bright idea after me constantly running in the room and waking them up in the middle of the night from being scared. Let's just get him a nightlight, all right? So, so then I had a nightlight. And, and then my dad would hit the nightlight, and then he would shut the door, turn the light, all that stuff. And all of a sudden, where there once was this, this darkness that seemed to swallow me up and, and petrify me, was, was now lit up. It wasn't dark anymore. Where there once was a black hole, now there was light. And with this light, I was comforted. I was not worried of the things that were going bump in the night. I was not worried of the monster that lurked in the dark anymore, because when I could close my eyes, there was peace. And I was comforted. Where there once was darkness, now there was light. And as I got older, no longer am I afraid of the boogeyman, amen, come on somebody. But that feeling of being swallowed up by the darkness didn't completely go away. It just looked a little bit different. So when I was in college, I went through a season that was very, very difficult, a season that was very overwhelming, a season that was very stressful. Uh, and it felt like there was this rain cloud. Maybe some of you know that feeling, that there's this rain cloud that constantly follows you around everywhere you are. That darkness just seems to loom. That darkness just seems to swallow you up. We all at some point or another have experienced this, this feeling of darkness and this feeling of distress. And this past year, I've talked to so many people. You ended up here at Rooftop. You ended up here at Rooftop. You ended up uh, becoming a follower of Jesus because, because of the pandemic and the isolation you were feeling. You felt completely swallowed up by the darkness. And we all know when things get dark, we need a light. So we are currently in week 38 of our sermon series called Isaiah for Today, where we are spending 10 months 
going through the writings of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was an 8th century Hebrew prophet, and he lived about 800 years before Jesus. And he spoke on behalf of, the, uh, behalf of God to the leaders of Jerusalem and to Judah. And he warned them that if they persisted in their wicked ways, that God was going to use the kingdoms of Assyria and Babylon to judge them for all of their evil deeds. But Isaiah is not all doom and gloom. Throughout this book, God gives Judah and Israel some hope. He tells them that he has plans for them, plans to bring them back to Jerusalem, plans to, to help them rebuild their nation, and also plans to give them a leader, a king who will save them not only from their enemies, but also save them from sin once and for all. So you see, this book of Isaiah is filled with prophecies of a future king who will soon arrive to restore the nation and to judge the world. And these prophecies are what we're going to be studying in this final, praise Jesus, this final series in our Isaiah series called, you, you guys know you guys are ready to be done. Come on. Don't, don't be kidding. Nobody. The future king. So the title of our message today is From Gloom to Glory. Look at your neighbor and say, From Gloom to Glory. So let's turn to our passage for today. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to have the words up on the screen for you so that you can follow along. I'm actually going to start in chapter 8, verse 22, to set the stage a little bit for us. Isaiah 9, verse 1. Excuse me. Isaiah 8, chapter 22, or verse 22. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought it to contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as if fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So in the midst of terrible darkness, the people of Israel facing, God delivers to them in this particular passage a great promise. At the time Isaiah writes this, Israel is under total Assyrian control, completely conquered. Damascus and the northern kingdom of Israel became assimilated into Assyria. And several years later, the northern kingdom tried to rebel against Assyria and they were completely conquered, completely wiped out. So what could possibly be offered to these people who have just been completely taken over? 
Are they going to look at the darkness? Are they going to look at the hopelessness, the dreams shattered, and conclude that God has forgotten about them? Or are they going to recall his past mercies, remember the promises, and have hope by faith in him? What did God have to offer to the people in the midst of total darkness, total gloom, and total anguish? Well, he gives them a promise. Where there once was darkness, there will come a glorious light. Where there had been warfare and destruction, there would then be a time of eternal joy and peace. And there is a promise made that there will be a child born, and this child will be a king, a wonderful counselor, a mighty hero, a father, the prince of peace. And he will rule with peace and justice, and his kingdom will reign forever. And the last verse tells us that the zeal of the Lord will do this. It is because of the zeal of the Lord, or with energy and enthusiasm, the Lord will do this. Not reluctantly will God do all these things, but with great joy and excitement and pleasure will God shine a light on his people and save them. Amen? And here in this passage is a promise that the future king will expand the light of God's rule even to the darkest places. So on closer look, there's some pretty amazing things that pop out in this passage. And I want to look at a few of these things this morning. So let's jump back into our text. Let's look at verse 4. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. What does that mean? I was reading this and I thought, what, that has to mean something. Why is this particular thing in this passage? Why is Isaiah talking about this? Well, if you know, God's people were formerly oppressed by another group called the Midianites. And God calls a guy named Gideon and the Israelites to go to battle against the much larger, much more powerful Midianite army. Some estimations say the Midianite army was between 115,000 and 135,000 men. So after some coaxing, Gideon goes and he obeys and he shows up with about 32,000 men ready to go fight an army of 135,000 men. They are severely outnumbered. So what does God do? Does God say, go get some reinforcements? You're going to get your butts kicked. He says, no, that's too many people. I want you to send 10,000 home. So that leaves 22,000 people. 22,000 people to go and face 135,000 men. What does God say? God says, too many people. So ultimately, uh, you should definitely go read this story in Judges 7. Gideon goes out to fight 135,000 men with 300 men. And this seems like a suicide mission, but they go and they don't even raise a sword. They blow some trumpets and break some jars and then God goes in and God does what God does and the battle is theirs. So what's the point? Again, why is Isaiah using this? Well, Gideon showed up with 300 men and it turns out that was 300 men too many because it was God who fought it was God who won the battle and it is here God is telling the people of Israel yet again I am going to be the one that breaks the rod of oppression just like I did for Gideon and this is good news God is a God of victory who goes before us and he fights our battles he goes into the darkness and he fights your battles 
And this morning, you may have walked in here, and you may feel like you are up against the Midianite army. You may feel outnumbered. You may feel like you can't win. You may feel this morning like there is absolutely no way you are going to survive the battle that you're in. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God is the God who breaks the yoke. God is the God who breaks the rod of oppression. And he is the God who goes before you into battle this morning. He is bigger than darkness. He is bigger than depression. He is bigger than cancer. He is bigger than any disease. He's bigger than bankruptcy. He's bigger than any giant. Come on, somebody. He is bigger than any battle you are fighting this morning. So let's go to verse 5. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as if fuel for the fire. So this was a customary practice that was done after the battle had been fought, after the battle had been over, completed, and they were victorious. Oh, come on. God is saying the battle has been completed. The battle has been won. So throw away your sandals. Throw away your blood-soaked garments. Because just as in the day of Midian, our God is the God who promises this morning to give us victory. Amen? Amen. So I want to jump back to the top. Let's look at a few verses. It says this. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time... He's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And the lands that he's describing here are the northern, is the northern kingdom of Israel, which, remember, has been completely wiped out. It has been completely conquered. It has been completely written off, Okay. And so remember, this is prophecy. So he's saying in the past or now, the lands of Zebulon and Naphtali are currently in contempt. But in the future, those people who were in darkness, they're going to see a light. Those swallowed by the darkness on them now, a great light will shine upon them. Ooh, I'm about to start preaching, y'all. Come on, you got to get with me. Get with the program. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 13 through 16. And leaving Nazareth, Jesus, whew, come on, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of where? Oh, come on, come on. Zebulon and Naphtali, so that was spoken by who? Oh, come on. The land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has shone. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why is this so cool? Because this was the area that was written off. This was the area that was conquered. This was the area that was described as distress and darkness and gloom and anguish. A place that it says was thrust into thick darkness. And this is where the light of the world decides he is going to begin his ministry. This is good news. 
Because God is revealing to us here that the king will expand the light of God's rule even to the darkest places. Where there was the most darkness, this is where God chooses to reveal his glory in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't start his ministry where it was easy, where it was happy, where it was sunny and rainbows. Come on. Jesus intentionally went to begin his ministry where there was brokenness, where there was gloom, where there was anguish, and where there was darkness. So what does this tell us this morning? that Jesus is not scared of your darkness. Jesus is not deterred by the anguish in your life. Jesus is not deterred by the gloom in your life. Jesus is not deterred by the sin in your life. As a matter of fact, Jesus wants to enter into that this morning. John 1.5 tells us, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome. Jesus, the king of all creation, the author and finisher of our faith this morning is reminding us, come on, that he intentionally goes into the brokenness of our life. He doesn't play it safe. He intentionally goes after the darkness in our life. And it says those who once walked in darkness, those who once dwelled in darkness, on them a light has shone. Jesus has come as the light of the world to set us free, to bring peace in our lives and to conquer, excuse me, and to, to protect and provide, to establish his kingdom of light and conquer even the darkest places. Amen? So how do we know this? Well, Isaiah also tells us, so let's go down to verses 6 and 7 of chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah is describing the promised Messiah. Messiah, we know, means anointed one. Pastor Matt told us last week, the Greek word for this is Christos, which is where we get the word Christ. Do you guys know Jesus' last name isn't Christ? That's my favorite question to ask a little kid. What's Jesus' last name? Nine times out of ten, Christ. It's like, yes, it's hilarious. So this is where we get the word Christ. So God promised to send his broken world, a child who will be born, who will be given to us, who will be with us. And Jesus is the one who was born to dwell with us to save us, the one who has come to bring about the ultimate victory, the one who comes to hold the government upon his shoulders, the one who has come to overcome the darkness by bringing us the light. And this light here isn't just literally light in the dark, it's salvation. It is the free gift of God's grace that has been made available to you and to me and to every person in here this morning. And the Bible tells us that God desires that all people be saved and know the truth and not perish. And the truth is that God sent his son to the earth to be a light, to be our savior, to reveal to us the truth that we are sinners who need a savior and we cannot save ourselves in any effort we put into saving ourselves will only plunge us deeper into darkness. But the good news this morning is that to us, a son is born. To us, a child is given, and he will save us from our sins by taking them upon himself in the greatest act of love, sacrificing himself for us. And he came to earth, and this child would grow up and be a wonderful counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name is Jesus. Amen? But you may say, wait a second. Jesus is not in the Oval Office right now, um, and he's not in charge of the halls of Washington. So how can the government be upon his shoulders? Well, his kingdom is at work in numerous ways right now. When the drug addict is free and his family is restored and he comes to a saving faith in Jesus, that is God's kingdom at work. I see people governed by God. When I see rooftoppers adopting and fostering neglected children and orphans, I see the kingdom of God working and moving. I see people governed by God. When I see and hear about people healed from diseases, like I have seen in my own life, yes, God still does that, folks, I see the kingdom of God at work. I see lives governed by God. His government is alive, and his government is working today. And Jesus has come to save us. And he is going to come again. This is what he tells us. He has come and he will come again. And Jesus will be, one day he will completely fulfill the prophecies we read here. We read in Revelations a few weeks ago that Jesus will restore and redeem the earth and create a new dwelling place for all of creation. And he will be reigning with us as our king and as our God. And so now this begs the question then that we like to ask here at Rooftop. So what? What? Hopefully you're motivated, right? Hopefully you're, you're inspired. Hopefully you're, 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 you're just falling deeper in love with God and with Jesus. But I hope you're also beginning to wonder what your next step should be. And Isaiah actually gives us the first step, and then Jesus gives us the next two. So our three points for this morning are rejoice, repent, reach. Look at your neighbor and say rejoice, repent, reach. Verse 3 in Isaiah 9 says that where there was darkness, the Messiah brings them light. And we know this Messiah to be Jesus who comes and brings a light and shines it on all the darkest places, including, look at verse 1, Galilee of the Gentiles. Do you know what Gentiles means? It means nations or not Jewish. So this is one of the first mentions explicitly that God says he is going to include Gentiles in his plan and that salvation will be available for them. Gentile believers would be on equal footing with Jewish believers in the kingdom of God. This is totally unexpected because it was thought thus far and even after this that salvation was just for God's chosen people, the Jewish people. It was very controversial that God's chosen people wouldn't just be Israel, but it would be people from all nations. This means that God was going to bring lots of different people into his kingdom with different skin colors, different languages, different political views, different opinions. And Isaiah says that as a result of this, we should rejoice. Ephesians 2, 11, 13 says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, the blood of Christ. Before Christ, did you know that, that we were absolutely hopeless? We were lost and had no access to the promises of God. But because of Jesus and his sacrifice, we are now included in this. 
We are included in this. Us, people here in America, this passage is revealing that God's plan isn't just for some people, it's for all people. And it is because of Jesus that we can now be adopted. We can now be brought into God's family. We should rejoice because now we can have relationship with God. Now we can know love. We can know mercy. We can know grace. We can know forgiveness. And we can know salvation. But later, we would come to find out, even when Jesus was here on earth, that the Jews had a hard time accepting people into God's family who weren't like them. Did you know that? Even the disciples. Even Peter. In Acts, there's an account of, of, of Peter being told by God to go eat with a Gentile, all right? This is Peter. He's a guest in someone's home, all right? This is what he says, all right? He's a guest at someone's house to eat, all right? You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with anyone or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person unclean. You think, Peter? What the heck? This is so rude. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. What do you need from me? Are you kidding me? That's so rude. You can almost hear the reluctancy in his voice. But he's obedient. He preaches the gospel to this Gentile, this unclean person, and this person then filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues, and then Peter baptized him. And when he returned to Jerusalem, the Jewish believers heard he had eaten with a Gentile. And he was criticized for it, eating with an unclean person. And even after this backlash, he eventually stops eating with Gentile Christians because of the backlash he's getting from the Jewish believers. And then Paul comes in, calls him a hypocrite. He roasts him in Galatians 2. Go read it. It's awesome. There's like a beef in the Bible. And they're like, eh. So in their minds, even the disciples early on had a hard time understanding that Jesus came for all people. In their minds, Jesus was for the good people. The clean people, not the unclean people. And I think we tend to have that same issue today. We think Jesus is for the good people like us, right? We think Jesus is for the, the clean people like us, right? And we rejoice when we're saved and when our family members are saved and our friends are saved. And we have a diverse church here at Rooftop that's continuing to grow in diversity, praise the Lord. So expect someone who looks different than you to sit by you. And are you going to rejoice when they come in? I'm seeing a couple people nodding like, yeah. What about when a gay person comes in? What about when a trans person comes in and sits in your seat? That's your seat. You sit there every week. Someone comes in and sits in your seat? Are you going to rejoice? Are you going to rejoice when a liberal or a Republican comes in here? Are you going to, to rejoice at the diversity here at Rooftop? Or are you going to be offended? Are you going to be angry? Are you going to criticize like the Jewish believers and resist what God is doing here in his, church, in his church. We ought to rejoice when all kinds of people come in here because Jesus, the king of all, came for all nations and he came for the worst of sinners like you and me and for Gentiles like all of us. Number two, number two, point number two, we must repent. Look at what Matthew says, excuse me, what Jesus says in Matthew 
chapter 4. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word we translate here, uh, repent, is metanoia. And this means to change, to change one's mind. Or in this, in this uh, spiritual sense, to change one's mind or change one's way of life resulting from a spiritual conversion or an encounter with Jesus. This is literally not just saying, saying the prayer, asking for forgiveness. Yes, that's important. But now you've actually got to turn away from your sin. We are to turn away from our life of sin. We are to leave the darkness behind and allow the light of the world into our lives to change us and to save us. Are you willing to turn away from the darkness? Or perhaps this morning, you love the darkness. Maybe you wouldn't say that, but let me read this passage to you and we'll go a little deeper. John 3, 19 through 21 says this, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world Jesus. And people loved the darkness rather than they loved Jesus because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus is the light of the world that came into the world to save us, and some of us have rejected him. Because oftentimes we like the darkness. We're comfortable in the darkness. We like our sin, right? And I'll just call it what it is. We like our sin more than we love Jesus. And instead of giving our sin to him, oftentimes we, we try to hold on to it, continuing to live in sin. And I want to lovingly tell you this morning that that path only leads to more hurt, more brokenness, more pain, and more anguish, more gloom, and more darkness. And God has provided for us a light in order to escape the darkness. Jesus preached repentance because only then can we escape the darkness and then begin to walk in his light. Ephesians 5, 8, 11 says this, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. In the Lord walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We are to turn away. We are to take no part in darkness. So I want to ask you this morning, is there any sin in your life right now that you are unwilling to let go of? Is there any sin in your life right now that you are trying to hide in the dark? Porn? Infidelity? Greed? Anger issues? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, repent. Ask the Lord for forgiveness and ask the Lord for help. He sent his son Jesus not to condemn you, but to save you from your sin, and you are more than a conqueror this morning through him who loves you. Repent this morning and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Turn from the darkness, and as Paul says, walk as children of light. Point number three. Lastly, we have to reach. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have accepted his light, you are now a light. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. 
and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our world is dark and it's broken and Jesus entered into this darkness and we are too. We are to be a light in all places, especially in dark places. A night light isn't good in a room full of light. No offense. No, actually offense. I mean offense here. If you're only shining your light in here on Sundays, you are not doing what God has called you to do. You are a light in order to light up the dark. Where there is brokenness, that's where Christians should be. Where there is pain, that's where Christians should be. Where there is hurt and loss and hopelessness and need, that is where Christians are supposed to be. Just as Jesus came to light up the dark, he has now given us the responsibility as the light to light up the darkness in this world that we live in today. There are people dying daily without Jesus. And we have people in our own lives that you know that don't know Jesus. And we must reach these people. We have an example set before us by Jesus. We have a mandate. We have a mandate to reach the lost. So how do we do this? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians 2.15, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom shine as lights in the world. I want to ask you this morning, do you reflect the Lord in all things that you do? Everywhere that you go, are you reflecting Jesus in a dark world, in your classroom, at work? in coffee shops? Are you actively reflecting what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a dark and twisted and broken world? I I talked to someone the other day who said, when I'm at work, I'm just there to work. No, you are not. Hear what I am saying to you. If you really believe this, If you really, truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that we are all sinners and we are all doomed to spend an eternity in hell without Jesus, if you truly believe this, we cannot keep it to ourselves. You can't. You cannot look at work as just work, as a place you go to get a paycheck. No, work is your mission field. You are an agent of change called by God to impact the world wherever you go. You are a walking revival everywhere you go. You are to shine the light of the gospel everywhere you go in a lost and broken world. And I want to tell you this morning, that is your calling. You are not at work just to get a paycheck, church. You are there to impact lives for the gospel and help them see the light in a dark and broken place. We cannot be okay people living in darkness, dying in darkness, and spending an eternity away from Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you are the light of the world, and you got to shine, church. There are lives on the line, and Jesus has you exactly where you are for a reason. And as a result of God's goodness and his grace, what should we do? We ought to to rejoice and repent and reach. And maybe you haven't done that this morning, and God is stirring something up in your heart right now. I want to encourage you to turn away from your sins. I want to encourage you to walk out of that darkness and walk into his light because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Come on, church. We are saved. We are set free. We are made new. We are brought out of the Come on, church, and we are brought into glory. And we know.
know that God says, like in the day of Midian, he's the one that goes before us. He's the one that goes to fight our battles. He is the one who's called us out of the grave. Come on, church, get excited. He is the one who calls us out of the darkness into light. He calls us out of the gloom into glory. So let's stand up. Come on, church. Let's worship Jesus this morning.